Yes, hello and welcome back to episode 6 of Long Ball Footy Ball. You're listening to myself, Albert, and my brother Barney on our weekly podcast where we discuss all things Portuguese football. This week we'll be looking at the European action for Porto, Benfica and Braga. We'll be looking at domestic action from the games we've managed to catch this week. Rounding up the table and looking at our team in focus, which this week will be CD Nacional. But first thing first, how's your week been, Barney? Yeah, it's been okay. Um, I'm feeling a little dodgy at the moment. I finished off a bottle of red wine I had on the go from the weekend. And then just as I finished my glass, our wife Beth was like, do you want the rest of these Cocos Reddies she was eating? So I said, yeah. <laughs> and now I've got <laughs> the combination of chocolate milk and red wine in the belly, but... Apart from that, I'm, I'm good, man. How about you? <laughs> I'm very good. In Barney's defence, for anybody wondering why his wife is eating chocolate shreddies, we should say that she is currently pregnant, so there might be a few weird <laughs> food things going on. Uh, a good question is, though, any potential Portuguese footballers that you're going to be naming a baby after? Yeah, well, that, that's interesting, man, because um, Beth's very keen to get the name sorted, so she keeps suggesting names, and quite often they're footballers who she has no idea about. <laughs> I do, and so I, I can't. So the other day we came close to Joby, but then of course Joby Mackinoff, the captain of Leyton Orient. Well, what a great name! I mean, uh, captain of Leyton Orient, legend, thirty-eight years old. He was man of the match at the weekend again for me, running around kids half his age. Yeah, so it's um, no, but no Portuguese names have come up yet. Well, the obvious one would be Ryan after Ryan Gould, but I think that's probably not <laughs> exotic enough. <laughs> um, I was going to say Babaka, but that's not. Great, <laughs> <laughs> well, the Tondela keeper that you take great pleasure in hammering every week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think there's going to be any uh, baby Pepe's running around anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. It's probably for the best. Uh, how are you, Albert? Yeah, I'm very good. I missed I missed football again last weekend, so I didn't have a chance to redeem myself. I mentioned I had a pretty shit game last week, and I was, you know, imagining coming back, redeeming myself, putting in a few strong challenges, but never materialised. It's all for the best, though, because I don't know if you, about you, but the first time I played football after a long time, my body is just in bits. I was I was ruined every every day trying to walk up the stairs. <laughs> I I don't know how professional. Well, they've got medics and um, people to massage them half every game I guess that's how yeah. they do it but yeah. <laughs> cryogenic chamber minus 120 degrees <laughs> after every game but of course the highlight of my week was watching the first round of the various European games that were happening that Portuguese teams were involved in so we've got Porto involved in the Champions League and we've got Benfica and Braga involved in the Europa League we both watched the Man City Porto game it's fair to say I think this was the highlight of the week really and it didn't really disappoint it was a very good game I thought yeah, it was. I mean, I was really excited at the start when um, Porto went ahead. Fantastic solo goal from Luis Diaz. I know, yeah. I mean, I, I really want to see more of that from him this season. And then also, of course, them going five at the back as well was uh, the first time they've sort of changed tacks uh, this season. Quite a heat between Conchacao and uh, Pep Guardiola as well. Yeah, well, there's some very strong quotes from Sergio Conchacao after the game about Pep Guardiola. Uh, I was tempted to buy a copy of the Daily Mirror because they had on the back page uh, about how Conchacao was saying, Pep is extremely unpleasant and bitter Porto coach rips into Guardiola, accusing the city boss of using ugly words and lacking class and manners. It's quite strong, that. <laughs> it is. Uh, and I, f- I think there were, it was the few of the refereeing decisions that really got to conscious how I think. Yeah. That, that led to some of Man City's goals. There's the penalty, which was a dreadful decision, in my opinion. Well, I think, and Conscious Al spoke about this as well. He said it was fair enough in the heat of the game if the ref misses that and gives the penalty, because it was a very clumsy foul from Pepe. But the thing that confused me was we were looking at the VAR um, replays and it quite clearly showed, uh, I think it was Ilkay Gundogan stepping on Marcus Sand's ankle. 
it was quite clear to see that it was a foul before the penalty foul. So I don't understand why that wasn't given, really. Yeah, really confusing because, like you said, it Marsh then got got to the ball, it was, which was a clean tackle, and then yeah, Gundogan actually fouled him. I thought anyway, and then also a few like other decisions. I think the foul for the Gundogan's free kick, uh, which he scored really nicely, it was a bit soft for me as well. But on the flip side to that, I suppose you have to say when you're playing a team like Man City, when you know they've got players who are capable of scoring, you've got to be so careful in those areas because if you're giving away a foul. With all due respect, if you're playing Tondela or something, you give a foul away 25 yards out. You know you're not too nervous about who's going to take it. But when you're playing Man City, with some of the quality they've got, it's always a goal-scoring opportunity. And it was an amazing free kick, to be fair. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think it was a uh, uh, young lad uh, Vieira who gave away the free kick there. Um, a big game for him to start in. What did you think of his performance? Well, it was difficult for him, I think, because he was asked to do quite a defensive job. I mean, I'm not I'm not entirely sure what he's like as a player. I think he's more of a kind of central midfielder, creative player, attacking midfielder. He was playing on the right of the four in midfield, I believe, and doing a lot of tracking back, not having much opportunity to express himself. So he didn't really show all that much, but not through any lack of ability, but more through, I think, the role that he was asked to play. I think that was indicative of the whole Porto performance, though. I don't know what you thought, but when I saw that they were going to be lining up 5-4-1, my initial reaction was actually... A bit sceptical because I thought by setting up so defensively that they would be inviting a lot of pressure onto themselves but I was pleasantly surprised because I thought they did play very well in the first half I thought they were very evenly matched I thought they looked very solid defensively uh, most importantly I thought Chancellor and Bemba was the best Porto player on the pitch they did really well to earn that goal as we've spoken about second half I thought it was a different story though they seemed to just lose some of that structure ever so slightly and those gaps just opened up and I thought also, I suppose it's a case of Man City just turning on that class that they have. It seemed a lot more straightforward for them in the second half. Two wonderful goals. But the thing for me is that this game for Porto is not going to be the game that they must win in this group. You know, Playing Manchester City is not the game that they're going and thinking we need to win this game. Those games will come against Olympiacos and Marseille. Those will be the games where they have to really try and attack the game and try and pick up as many points as they can from those four matches. But yeah, for me, overall, I thought it was a pretty positive performance. Obviously, no points to take out of it, um, but a lot for them to build on, I think. Yeah, no, I thought it was a, an OK performance. And um, obviously, Conscious Outfield is his strongest team, you could say, as did Benfica in their game against uh, Lex Poznan, which surprised me, actually, because um, I thought they might be looking to rest players, particularly with having the game on the Thursday. Well, Jorge Jesus has been speaking in a week about how he wants to win this competition. So I think for him, it was pro- probably quite clear that he was going to be going strong from the beginning. I'm interested to see how they, they're obviously playing tonight on the Monday, but I'm interested to see how that will continue for the rest of the season for them. They've obviously got the strength and depth, uh, but it was pretty much an unchanged side for how they played in the league. Darwin came through with a hat-trick, didn't he? Um, Fantastic. But they also conceded a couple as well, uh, which I think is interesting. Uh, Lex Poznan definitely got in behind that back four a few times. There was also Gilberto, the right-back, uh, the new signing playing. I haven't really heard much about him before this game. Um, he's come over from Brazil, but yeah, he looks all right. Well, he's obviously coming for Andre Almeida, and I think you know Andre Almeida is obviously such a legend at the club that he's always going to be playing second fiddle. Obviously, Andre Almeida's got his injury, so Gilberto will get his chance to to play at right back for Benfica for the next few weeks, you imagine. But just going back to Darwin, I think we should talk on him a little bit because he was a little bit overshadowed, I thought, last weekend by Vorschmidt, uh in the sense that Vorschmidt got a couple of the goals. I mean, Darwin got some good assists and put in a good performance, but the headlines are all about Waldschmidt and in this game he really 
just took the game by the horns and was the main man on the pitch. He looked fantastic. First goal, proper, really strong header. I really enjoyed that one. Second goal showed a bit of class, you know, nice touch just to make that bit of space for himself to, to slot home. A hat-trick, I mean, there were a lot of headlines about him this time and I think they were well-deserved. It's funny though, because for me, I don't know about you, Barney, but I mean, we've watched him play, what, five, six games now for Benfica and already I'm thinking things like, is he going to stay at Benfica? Can they keep hold of him? You know, which European teams are going to come in for him? All that type of stuff, because he really does look like a player with a lot of ability. It's going to be important for him going through into this competition because he is, no matter who, what team, sort of team he's, they've come up against, I feel like he's always going to be effective uh, with his pace and his height. You could also say this could be a sort of shop window if, he get, if they get far in the competition um, for other clubs to see him. I personally can't see a reason why Benfica can't win the competition and also still have a really strong share in the league. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you about, actually, because you did mention the fact that they conceded the two goals and that was the only doubt that was coming into my mind. I mean... It wasn't a disastrous defensive performance by any means at all, but it wasn't a really commanding defensive display that they might have wanted. Um, we saw them actually leaking a couple of goals against Ferenz a few weeks back. I don't know if you remember that. And these aren't huge issues that are going to affect them week in, week out in the Premier League and coming, against up, coming up against some of the smaller teams, or maybe even in the Europa League group stages. But if they want to advance to the latter stages of this competition against the very experienced teams, the likes of Sevilla, teams like that. I was worried that maybe this will be something that could be their undoing once they get start getting into the quarterfinals, semifinals. Yeah, well, of course, at that stage with the knockout system, the away goal is going to come to effect. But I've sort of got get the impression with this Benfica team that it's they're always going to score goals no mm. matter who they play. And I'm thinking they're sort of going to rely on that to see them through. The amount of chances they create, the high press. Um, well, it seems to be the modern way of playing, really. You know, you see the popularity in England with player teams like uh, Pep Guardiola teams, even Marcelo Bielsa teams, just playing so much on the front foot. It's always a case of, we'll just score more goals than you to make it through. Well, the last game that we should mention from Europe this week was Braga versus AK Athens. Uh, we Neither of us watched the game live, but we both watched the highlights. Ended 3-0 to Braga. It looked like a really good performance from them as well, from what I saw. They were so positive and they had so many chances. I thought it could have been five or six, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, another strong team fielded for them. Um, Carlos Carvalho switched up a little bit. He went to four at the back. And it, yeah, just a really positive performance, I thought. They just wanted to get the goals, uh, weren't, weren't looking to hold back. Jelano uh, looked good again. Keep saying his name, uh, but yeah. he is really looking good. And then also, sort of not related to this game really, but um, Paulinho obviously signing that new contract with them as well. Oh, um, yeah, of course. Really good signs for that. Like really good signs for them because he was rumored with Sporting, I think, in the transfer window. And Wolves as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. So it's great for them. They're obviously not going to be the strongest team in this competition, but I think they should get out of that group. Yeah, they're in a group with Zoria Lehanks from Ukraine. And Leicester from England. So I think for any English fans watching, we'll see a couple of Braga Europa League games televised in the UK this season when they come up against Leicester. I personally think they should come out of that group in the top two at least. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how they play against Leicester, actually. I think that'd be a good test of their of their ability. But yeah, really positive performance as well. I thought Paulino looked fantastic. I just want to mention quickly as well, Barley, I don't know if you watch this game because strictly it's not got anything to do with Portuguese football, but I did watch um, the Spurs Europa League game because Carlos Vinicius was starting. And I was so happy to see him doing really well. He missed a really good chance from a header in like the first 10 minutes, which I thought I was worried that was going to be like a bad sign of things to come. But he played so well, man. He got two good assists. I think he assisted Lucas Moura 
um, with a lovely cutback, and I think he assisted Son as well with a really lovely flick on the header. I mean, he showed that he's a team player. He works for the team. You know, all the players were coming up and hugging him. They were coming up and hugging him after Lucas Moura's goal for getting the assist. So, yeah, I, he was a player that I always quite liked at Benfica, and I'm just pleased to see him doing well at Spurs as well. Yeah, no, he, he did look good. I think Mourinho even said he might be starting him with Harry Kane in the league at some point as well, which would be really exciting. It's obviously sad to see him leave Benfica, but, you know, when they've replaced him with Darwin, it's... Uh, yeah. And they, they're going to get 45 million for him as well, so... so <laughs> good at business. But no, it, like... You know, it'd be great if they come up against uh, Tottenham as well, Benfica, at some point. If throughout the Europa League, that could be really interesting as well. Yeah, so um, one news item I wanted to bring this week uh, was the attack of the Portugal, the Portuguese Cup. Last Thursday, the third round draw was made. And this is where the teams from the Premier League were entered into the tournament. So there are a couple of interesting draws. Perhaps before we look into some of the matchups, so I should explain a bit more about the Portuguese football pyramid, which, which is so complicated. So you and I are, are familiar with the 18 teams in the Premier League and a couple who make up the 18 in the Liga Pro or the equivalent of the Championship in England. Now, when you go down to the third tier, this is where it becomes completely different. Here, there are eight regional leagues, each with 12 teams in. So that's 96 teams in the third tier, effectively. Wow. So, but now there are still teams involved in the attack of the Portugal who are from the fourth tier. And once again, this tier is made up of 19 district leagues from areas such as Porto, Lisbon, Braga, etc. And the reason I've gone into so much detail here is to try and put into context the golfing quality between the draw of Disportivo do Moncal and Riav. Wow. We know Riav, we talked about them in the last pod. They were our team of the week in focus. And they've submitted their place in the Premier League. They took on AC Milan, they took AC Milan to penalties in the last Europa League qualifying game. Now, Moncal play in the Viana de Costello Division 1 District League in the fourth tier. So even if we were to say that Moncal are the best team in the fourth tier, there are still <laughs> 132 teams effectively above them in the three tiers above. That's incredible. And so, like you know, when you watch an FA Cup game and there's like a, a real mismatch, perhaps a National League versus a championship team, and the commentator says the National League team are 80 or so places below the championship team. If we go with the numbers I've mentioned, it would be like Liverpool playing... Dulwich Hamlet or Blythe Spartans who play in the league below the National League. Wow. But for me, the fact that the third and fourth tiers are regional, I feel like the golf is perhaps even bigger than that. It could be like a Sunday league standard, you know. Well, regional leagues are always just a really big indicator that these teams have not got much money at all. They've not got any resources. Yeah, and then when you I mean when you look at Moncal's squad, there's you know, it becomes quite clear there's um there's quite a few kids in there. Perhaps even more telling is that they've got a 43-year-old midfielder and a 38-year-old keeper, which is just <laughs> it's just so typical Sunday league, aren't you? Aren't yeah. Like, there's always a bloke in his 40s who clearly is, like used to be a bit of a player but hasn't got the legs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but apart from that draw, the um, uh, Benfica, Porto, Sporting and Braga all drew teams from the third tier. So they might be quite good games to watch. There might be an opportunity for some youngsters to play. Um, and they're all... Uh, playing on the 29th of November for those. Well, that was the first of the games that I watched this week, and that was the uh, Derby Dominio, and that was Vittoria versus Braga. This game was all about the 10-man brawl that happened on the 82nd minute. I mean, it had been extremely tame before that, and it was weird for me because... It didn't really seem like a derby before that moment. I mean, maybe as English fans, we're used to a proper local derby as having you know a bit of an edge to it and just that 
extra level of energy and excitement and anticipation. But watching this one, it all seemed uh, it all seemed very tame. I mean, Vittoria set up so defensively. That's what surprised me because they really let Braga come onto them. They were obviously trying to like soak up the pressure and counter-attack. But the issue for me was their counter-attacks just looked quite disjointed. I thought they've got some good attacking and creative players, but they weren't quite linking up. They just struggled to create genuine chances. And they made it quite easy for Braga to get what was, you know, a pretty decent goal in the end. But fair play. Second half, they came out much more positive. They took the game to Braga, really, playing on the front foot. They looked like getting a goal at this point. You're thinking, okay, you know, this is more like the match that I hoped it would be. Uh, and obviously, yeah, as I alluded to, things got much more lively on the 82nd minute. There was a, a big pile on involving pretty much every player. By the end of it, two Braga players had been sent off. One Vittorio Gimaraes player had been sent off. I think Issa Suleiman got a yellow card. Spent about five minutes looking at VAR, trying to work this whole thing out. It all started with a horrific challenge on Marcus Edwards, one of our favourites, by David Carmo. I don't know if you saw the challenge, Barney. What did you make of it? Oh, it was um, it was horrible. It yeah. was really, really bad. I don't know if Marcus Edwards has got an injury off that because it, it could have been really bad for him. That's exactly what I was thinking because, I mean... Forget about the brawl for a second, you know, forget about the fights. That challenge deserved to be a straight red, without a doubt. It was a proper leg breaker. His studs were up. He's so lucky not to catch a Marcus Edwards, like, full on the knee. We would be looking at a real serious long-term injury, you know, we're looking at ligament damage, potentially a leg break. I think that's something you see quite a lot. Um, if you look at David Carmo, he's a, a big centre-back. He's very tall, um, hasn't got much pace to him. And when you when you come up against a player like Marcus Edwards, who's so skillful, so hard to get close to or even get a tackle in. And Marcus Edwards' last two games now, we're starting to see a bit more of his ability and he's able to like just and absolutely antagonize defenders. And when you've been coming up against that for 82 minutes, I feel like sometimes this comes out. You see sometimes with Wilfred Zaha in the Premier League as well, the same uh, Jack Grealish. Players just get sick of it. They're so tired of having to keep up with you and then just going to put a, just go through you. Let's talk about David Carmen for a second because... I do not rate him at all after that challenge. I thought it was a really terrible decision. And I think he really needs to fix up his attitude a little bit. I think he showed a lot of a big lack of maturity. I mean, I know he's a young man uh, playing for a good club at a young age, fair play. But he's still got so much to learn, clearly, about the mentality it takes to be a top defender. He's so hot-headed. He let his emotions get the better of him. You could tell he was frustrated and he just lashed out in what was such a reckless such a reckless and dangerous way and he really went down in my estimations I hope personally I hope he's embarrassed by that challenge a bit, little bit of a brawl a typical footballer's brawl you know where well it was Isma Suleiman wasn't he like sticking up for his mate Marcus he just comes sprinting from this defence like he's got a fair distance to travel and he gets straight up in there doesn't he yeah I was I was actually quite pleased to see Suleiman <laughs> being the first person to get up there and defending his fellow English player I mean you know, he's the first one to get in Carmo's face. And that's really what exploded everything, to be honest. Carmo just kind of lost it, started pushing people around. Everyone swarms in. Uh, as far as I can see, there was only one real kind of punch thrown, and that was from Vittoria man, George Fernandez, who went for a bit of a slap on the back of Carmo's head. Fran Sergio from Braga got sent off as well. I'm not entirely sure what he did specifically. And obviously, Carmo, Carmo went off. I assume that was for the challenge, and then just starting whatever happened afterwards. I thought the ref lost control of it to be honest he wasn't even looking at what was going on when Fernandez started throwing his arms around so I wasn't impressed by the rest at all it was a bit of a I mean it's exciting into the game obviously we don't advocate for violence we don't want to see brawls every game but it was an exciting end to what had been a pretty pretty boring derby actually and just to touch on the football briefly again because we're both interested in how this new Vittoria 
manager's going to do. Um, we didn't watch their game last week, but he's set them up this week uh, in a 4-2-3-1. They've been playing 4-3-3 the weeks before he joined. Uh, and the thing that interested me about him was that he played Marcus Edwards in the middle, behind the striker, not on the right wing. Again, credit to Marcus, who we both rate very highly. He's a very creative player. I thought he looked like their biggest threat, even playing slightly out position. He seemed like the person most likely to open the door for Vittoria. I'm not convinced that's where he should be playing. I think he should be playing on the right. I think he's very dangerous when he cuts in on his right foot. I think he's got uh, improvements to make in terms of his delivery into the box. I think you'll learn that from someone playing with someone like Karejma. But the thing I took away from the game is that it looks like Vittoria are going to be a much more defensive, resolute side from now on. They seem to be lacking direction. We mentioned it before. Lacking kind of confidence in their game, cohesion. They seem to be a little bit aimless at times. So I think this guy, Joao Henriquez, is going to be bringing in a lot more structure and pretty much building building them back up from the bottom. Yeah, I think a lot of new managers like to do that, don't they, when they get in? They like to, if there's a particular team has been struggling, they like, to, like you said, build up from the back. Um, what do you think of Braga, though? This, you know, it's three wins in a row now. I thought that the attacking end, they were really good, very free flowing, a lot of uh, nice passes. Um, coming together I've, I've quite critical of Carlos Carvalho at the beginning of the season but I'm really trying, I'm really changing my tune I think he's um, really getting something good going there I think they showed the best of themselves in the first half of this game because that was when they looked like the by far the biggest attacking threat I mean they looked so much better than Vittoria in the first half second half was a bit more difficult for them because I thought Vittoria got their act together a bit but yeah I agree they're totally starting to show what they're about Galeno's playing really well. Paulinho, someone, the more I watch, the more I like him as a striker. He just seems to have so much to offer. You know, he's got great technique, great physical presence, great finishing. He looks like the sort of striker who's, you know, can get stuck in on headers, corners, things like that. They've got a lot of, a lot of creative players in midfield as well. I thought Horta as a player, the central midfielder as a player, I like quite a lot. Yeah, it's interesting because I think both of these teams will be fighting for that those top five places. I think Braga have a, probably a slightly better chance of getting higher up the table than Vittoria. I think they've got a bit more quality. I don't know what you think. I think Vittoria have got a little bit more rebuilding to do after their disastrous start to the season. I, I've written down that I I could see Braga, if Porto and Sporting drop points here, there, I think Braga could potentially push on and maybe sneak in the third spot, potentially. And then I think that gap behind the sort of the sixth and seventh place is going to be probably the most interesting battle in the league um, Vittoria I think I've got to do quite a lot more to get close to that in my opinion Yeah, um, I think it's great they've got the I've great they've made the change quite swiftly with Thiago leaving and this manager's coming and like you said a bit more solidity to them but it's the attacking side they need to improve yeah definitely and you mentioned Porto and Sporting there those were the they both played at the weekend and those were the two games you watched as well weren't they yeah, so uh, both playing on the Saturday night. Um, I started off with uh, Sporting Santa Clara. This ended two-one to Sporting, but it was definitely uh, there was no doubt really that Sporting were going to come away with the three points of this one. Mm. Um, they set up with the same team that played Porto last week, um, still in a number nine uh, with Yovan Cabral and Luna Santos up top together, and a lot of fans have been calling for Sporo to start in the last two games. Um, Interesting. Yeah, uh, he hasn't uh, very good stats at all for last season, but he is that big number nine who um, a real focal point for them. But with this, uh, the two up top, it did really allow um, Pedro Goncalves to more freedom from the field to sort of bomb forward. And he got the first goal by being put through by Cabral. A great finish from a really acute angle. We'll share the highlights of this game on our Twitter page, but 
it's such a good finish. It's one of those uh, goals that the more you watch it, the more you realise what an incredible angle it is he scores from. He was the star of the game, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, Santa Clara went with five at the back with uh, Thiago Santana up by himself and and Lincoln coming back into the team behind him. They're both quite isolated throughout the game. Um, quite often, hopeful on balls were played up but nothing really came off. I thought he scored a good goal though, Barney. Yeah, I mean, it came um, a little bit out of the blue. Uh, Lincoln found himself with the ball and was quick enough to slip it through Fidel and Cuartas for Thiago Santana to run onto. And then um, Ali Adnan was so quick to come off his line and came really far out. He ended up coming outside mm. his area. Yeah. Um, and Thiago Santana sort of kind of went past him and started at home. Yeah, interesting decision from Ali Adnan. Uh, but so far, we haven't really seen that from him. It seems like a more experienced keeper and not someone to do that. Well, I was very impressed with him from what I've seen so far. I thought he was a, I thought he was an excellent goalkeeper, but that was a really daft mistake. Yeah, Sporting did change things early in the second half. Cabral came off and uh, quite early on. I think that's the second time now in two games that they've made that change. I think they made that last week as well against Porto, didn't they? Yeah, and um, and he also went with uh, taking off a centre back and bringing on Thiago Thomas and um, Spora. So they went four at the back and sort of had uh, Spora in the middle, Thiago Santos, uh, Thiago Thomas, sorry, on the right, and um, Nuno Santos on the left. And this meant that Poro and Pedro Mendes, who had been so attacking from the fullback position, uh, they weren't sort of able to push on as much. And at the time, I was like questioning this decision because they were so affected. But um, I think it was the right decision from Amaran. Um, Sporting were patient, they were comfortable on the ball, they never overcommitted. And um, eventually, they got the winner again from uh, Goncalves, uh, getting uh, to the ball for, after Fidel hit it, headed it across the face of goal. Yeah, I just thought it was a real business-like performance from Sporting. 66% possession, 82% pass accuracy, 13 shots. Uh, Santa Clara never really had a chance apart from their goal. Um, and it really got me thinking now, but that it's a big shout, I think. But for me, Sporting's back line are the best in the league. Yeah, you've mentioned that to me a couple of times. And I think the more I, the more I think about it, the more I'm inclined to agree. I think Coates is arguably one of the best centre-backs in the division, actually. They obviously conceded two goals against Porto last week. So I think a lot of Porto fans were particularly keen on their defence. I think they thought they were a bit a bit soft or could have been a bit a bit stronger overall. But from what we see week in, week out in the Premier League, they do look like the most formidable centre-back pairing. Both very big, very tall, very strong. Uh, we've seen Coates contribute with one or two goals, I think, from headers as well. Uh, Fidel's obviously a new signing. I think he's settling in. I think he's settling in well too. I think it will be interesting to see by the end of the season, you know, which teams, where they stand in the kind of clean sheets ranking, where they stand in the goals conceded ranking. Obviously, you've got uh, some big names at Benfica, Vertonghen, Otamendi. You've got Pepe playing at Porto. So there, are, so there are some other great centre-backs in the league, but they seem to be the centre-back pairing kind of the most under the radar, I think, of the big teams. Yeah, and it's not only them two, um, also with Neto performing sort of the part of that three, and then with Pedro Porro on the right and Nuno Menes on the left. That's sort of the reason why I'm making this claim is because the balance is so good. So Pedro Porro can go up and attack. Nuno Menes can go up and attack. They know when to not overcommit. Um, and with that three behind them, them, it just gives them that belief that they can go forward and create something. They, Like you said, they did concede two against Porto. And this goal today is just a few instances where they've been caught out from people getting in behind. If they sort that out, just by dropping the line back a little bit, I really think they could be really effective this season. Yeah, I totally agree. And just to touch again quickly on Pedro Gonçalves, man of the match for me with his two goals. It's nice to see him uh, earning his prize tag in a way because he was a really, for those who don't know, they signed him from Famalicão uh, this summer. Last year, Famalicão had a fantastic season. 
uh, almost qualified for the Europa League. He was one of the standout players and there was a bit of speculation about which teams he might go to. He ended up going to Sporting and he was a big signing for them. I mean, while you've got teams like Benfica spending £80 million in a transfer window, for a team like Sporting Lisbon, Gonçalves was a big signing and I'm really pleased to see him playing well. He looked like, let's not forget he was playing at central midfield and to contribute with two goals and two goals which required great technique as well. I, th- I was very impressed with him. Yeah, definitely. And uh, that midfield, I think, is only going to get stronger. Jao Mario came on for the second half. Very impressed by him. And when they get that balance and work out what the best combination is, perhaps with Paulini as well, yeah, that could that could really be devastating, I think. Um, I do want to shout out, though, to Lincoln from Santa Clara. He's come back from injury. He did look at a bit of class, I think, uh, that sort of player that Santa Clara uh, need. Uh, he got eight assists last season, so if he can improve on that and um, assist a few more for Thiago Santana, that can be good for them. Well, Santa Clara had started the season so well and after three games, three or four games, they were right at the top of the table and they had two tough games recently, which they they lost the last two games, but hopefully it won't knock their momentum too far because I think we would both like to see them have a good season. Definitely. And then, uh, I mean, we we shouldn't uh, not say about Thiago Santana becoming the Santa Clara's best ever goal scorer in the league. Of course. Well, actually, I mean, you say that very happily, Barney, but we discussed this before. I wanted to bring this up in the news and you shot me down. So, yes. Thiago Santana is the top goal scorer of all time in the Primera Liga for Santa Clara. But how many goals has he scored? He's just got the 14. I, I was expecting <laughs> 50s, 30s or something like that. But, uh, but still, they, I'd, look, he's, start, he's got five goals now this season. Mm, yeah. Five goals in five games. Like It's it's not to be sniffed at. And, um, oh, no, yeah. If he can continue on, like uh, that, it's going to be very important for Santa Clara to sort of stay in that top half of the table if they can for anyone who's not watched him play he's a he's not a young man by any means but he's a tall physical player but with great pace and a really strong left foot and if you ever find yourself watching Santa Clara play he's the man to look out for with that win for sporting going into Saturday evening they actually went ahead of Porto Porto obviously playing a half an hour after that game finished so they were playing Gil Vicente at home um they ended up winning 1-0 a lot of changes for Porto um Evan Nilsson, Nakajima and Tony Martinez all came in uh, with Oliviera and Morega being rested for the Champions League. And you can understand that uh, Conscious Hell was talking before the game, really highlighting the they basically got a rest day after the Champions League training and then the game and then the same again, rest day training. Yeah. And then, of course, playing Olympiacos on Tuesday. So quite a congested schedule for them. And I think this game was a good indication of what we can expect from Porto for the rest of the season. I think they performed well um, against perhaps an underrated Guild Vicente team, despite the changes. They went with their strongest back four with Manava, Membemba, Pepe and Sanusi. And I'm not sh- 100% sure about this back line. Um, if you compare it to Sporting, say, it just feels a little unbalanced, I think. I think Sanusi is a player that's worth watching whenever you watch Porto because he's obviously filling in for Alex Tellers. He went to Manchester United, but I can't work out what I think of him, Barney. I mean, he seems like quite an inconsistent player. I'm not sure what to think of him. With him and Manifo on the right, they were just they were caught out quite a few times where both of them had gone for the attack and it just left Pepe and Mbemba by themselves. And yeah, you're right. It's I compared him to Sergio Aria last week and I think that still is quite a good comparison. He, mm-hmm. he actually got sent off in this game in the end for two yellows. Really? Both coming from where he just managed to let his, his man just managed to get past him and he just just like he just collapsed in him like and just like felt like he needed to foul, like really silly, like caught up in the moment. What options do you think they've got then if they decide that maybe Sanusi is not the best choice because they haven't really got any other recognised left-backs on the books. That's a really good point and that's something I wanted to talk to you about because they obviously went to a back five against Man City mm. and 
I think that's definitely something they're going to have to look at further down the line in the league because, like I mentioned, these two attacking fullbacks who are very effective going forward, let's not forget that. I think Manafort's mm. fantastic. But they don't have that stability of knowing that there's going to be that extra man behind them to sort of mop up if someone gets past them. I think I would probably much prefer Sanusi at left wing back when he hasn't got quite the defensive responsibilities. Because so I think, as you just said, he seems like he can be a bit suspect defensively. And Manafar as well, who I thought was played really well against Man City. Uh, he didn't play the whole game, but when he came on, I was actually quite impressed playing again. And that was in a back five, so he was playing right wing back. Yeah, it's just making me wonder whether that back four is the right system for them, especially if they've got such attacking-minded fullbacks. Yeah, and Conchessel seems to want to keep with that back four in the lead, doesn't he? And I'm hoping that he'll sort of come around and start mixing things up. I don't know if it's something to do with you know feeling like he shouldn't have to mm. cave, shouldn't have to like cave in for the lesser teams in the league. You know, yes. he should be the one having to change. I don't know if there's something about that there. But further forward though, um, for Porto in this game, I I think they did adopt a different sort of playing style to usual. And it, so they went with two up top with Evan Nilsson and uh, Tony Martinez. And then they had Nakajima on the left and uh, Vieira on the right. And Hazus Corona sort of given this almost free roll popping up on both wings throughout the game. And that actually worked quite well. Um, Evan Nilsson got the only goal of the game. Uh, coming from that left-hand side, Sanusi getting forward and Nakajima finding him in the middle. And they created more chances as well. Uh, Tony Martinez should have scored. Uh, Vieira had a good chance and um, Arube missed a penalty as well. Evan Nilsson looked good. Um, he's a young player from Brazil who's come over this summer. Physical and not afraid to take on players. I don't understand why he Mediterranean wasn't starting. And you could even say the same for Tony Nutter starting ahead of him. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, well, on the one hand, you could say he's saving him for the Olympiacos game, but Taremi's not played many minutes, so it's not like he's going to be rusty. It's not like he needs to be rested. I think he's come on as a sub in a few games since signing, but if I remember correctly, he's not started a game, in the league at least. And he was a big signing for them. A lot of people were really happy about him joining. His favourite for Golden Boot at the beginning of the season. I can't see that happening if he's not playing any nah. minutes. Yeah, interesting one. I mean, we we to- we spoke about it in our transfer special uh, a few weeks back when we rounded up the end of the transfer window. But they've got a lot of strikers on the books and a lot of strikers who I don't think are the most dynamic of players either. Taremi, Martinez... Uh, and I'm not sure about this guy, Evan Nilsson, maybe you know more about him than me, but they all seem like quite physical uh, lead from the front strikers. I agree. They're, they're sort of all a similar style and not as good as Mr. Morega, most importantly. Mr. Morega seems to, he's able to play up front by himself quite effectively, but I'm, perhaps Conscious just doesn't trust these to do the same. I think the thing that Marisa Morega's got that they haven't though is he's got a lot more he's got a lot more pace than they have. Um and I know we keep I know we've spoken about the Man City game already and we keep bringing it back to that but for me he was their best attacking outlet against Manchester City because he didn't only have the physical presence and the strength but he had the pace to get in behind as well to get in behind the center backs. That that's this is going to be the story of Porto's season seeing what they do with their team in the league because Conchastel clearly is, really wants to get out of this group in the Champions League. Let's be honest, many for financial reasons. Mm. So there's a lot of pressure on that. Like I mentioned, I've, uh, I think Vieira looked good. Um, Evan Nilsson showed sparks. Um, Romario Barrow came on, um, a highly rated youngster, came on for Tony Martinez just after halftime. And he sort of gave, a, like you said, a bit more of an option than a sort of out-and-out striker, a bit more pace. Like they got it over the line. Uh, they created quite a few chances. You know, They did deserve the win, to be fair. It's just going to be if this team and these constant changes which Conscious is going to have to make will um, 
hold out throughout the season. Uh, one player for me who stood out for Gil Vicente, who I, I mentioned last week as well, um, is young Samuel Lino, um, the Brazilian winger for them. We've really got to keep an eye on him, Albert. He had a couple of good mm. chances he just didn't put away, um, but a really exciting young player. Where's he come from? So he came from Brazil a couple of seasons ago. Um, I mentioned last week, I think he started as a wing back, but they're playing him as a winger. He's got a lot, he's shown a lot of confidence at the moment. Um, he just looks uh, like a, a really good player. Right, so now we're going to move on to one of our new features, which we're going to continue to do. Uh, a look at the table, just giving you a brief overview of what's going on. Barney, do you think we should? Uh, do you think we should come up with some kind of snazzy name for this feature? Barney's table roundup, or something along those lines. Barney's table roundup. I've got no other pun really. I was trying to think of a table pun, but there's not really any. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking like Knights of the Round Table. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> We'll just go over a look at the table for now. (laughs) Go with that. If anybody's got any suggestions, please do email in. So, um, Benfica remain top despite not playing till tonight. They're playing Belenens. And it'll be interesting to see if they can maintain their 100% uh, record going forward, particularly with their Thursday commitment in the Europa League. They're 1-0 up as we speak, Barney. Oh, who scored? Seferovic. Please tell me Darwin Stein. He is. Oh, good. Barney's fantasy team is safe. Uh, played the wild card this week so we'll come on to that later um so yeah porto are two points behind uh benfica and remains second on goal difference to sporting who are third they're also on 10 points but they have a game in hand on porto braga four thanks to run of three wins in a row now uh, with morian's behind him on eight having beaten maritime on sunday uh, but i think we might have to look at morian soon because um i looked at the highlights of this game and they looked like they were playing some really nice football Oh, fantastic! Yeah, well, this is a, we've spoken about this team in in preparation and stuff. It's a, a team we, you won't have heard us mention at all, really, because well, they're basically a bit of a mid-table team, and and <laughs> we've glossed over them a little bit. But yeah, we'll probably be coming on to them as one of our focus teams pretty soon, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, they look really good, um, but Maritino didn't help themselves in this one. Um, they, they lost uh, Jean Souza quite early on for two silly yellow cards. Um, so they sort of haven't sort of got things together after that win against Porto a few weeks back. Uh, Santa Clara and Vittoria both have seven points. Then uh, Nacional, Maritimo, Riav and Fermascal are all on six points. Uh, Riav got their first win of the season uh, against friends. Carlos Mano, the only scorer there. The wild man, Ryan Gold, had a goal ruled out for absolutely no reason as far as I can see. Well, over here at the Ryan Gold fan club, we were we were just fuming about this decision. It was It was just so frustrating to watch because... He's worked so hard, and we should mention that Ryan Gould was made man of the match for his performance, even though his team lost, uh, creating, I think, five goal-scoring chances, something like that, and deserved a goal, made a great chance for himself, puts the ball through the keeper's legs. As the keeper's rushing out to meet him, they sort of collide after the ball has left his foot, rolls into the net, and I think the ref gave a foul, was it? I'm not even sure what it was for. Yeah, it was bizarre. I think he blew for a foul before the board crossed the line, so they weren't able to go to VAR to sort of clear that up. And go. Unbelievable, really. Um, you just wonder where their luck is going to come from, for instance. I mean, they're so unlucky. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're bottom of the table now on one point. Um, and it, that's it, man. It's their luck. And I really hope it'll come around soon. Bell and Energy play uh, Benfica tonight. Um, Gil Vicente and Pagas Ferreira are on five points each. Um, Portman is just above the relegation zone on four points and Boa Vista on three uh, with Forenz at last on one point How did Boa Vista do during the week actually Barney? 
they got a draw against Famalicao, which I did actually watch. I think they're going to then you really start to get worried. I think I was thinking as well that there hasn't been a uh, manager fired yet. Obviously, Targo quit and slash fired, but um. If I'm honest, and I'm sad to say it, my money would be on the Vista manager. Um, well, they've got they've got a new, very ambitious owners, haven't they? Yeah, and like uh, it's such a frustrating game because I've sort of been rooting for Bervista since we started this podcast. Um, they went two goals ahead midway through the second half, you know, so they weren't holding on for very long. Hamash, the French left-back, actually impressed me in this game. Uh, got a goal, and Javi Garcia as well, ex-Man City player, got a, a header from a free kick. And then they just imploded. Like, um, mm. having us go away with a penalty on 85 minutes, like, a, we keep saying this at the moment, stupid penalty, like, yeah. stupid fouls across the whole league. And then, and like, literally the last kick of the game, uh, Fumasco had a free kick from um, left-hand side. And they just, it was a cross. It wasn't a shot. But it just came close to goal. And Leo then the keeper, just sort of flapped and it just went over his head and in. Like, literally the last kick of the game. Bovis were absolutely devastated. That's, it was just a bit poor for me, a bit naive. I mean, interestingly, they, they, they changed a few players as well. Um, they brought up a uh, centre-back from the under-23s to start. I don't know what's happened to Abdul Rami. I think he might be injured or something. Okay. Um, yeah, just... I mean, of all the players, having Garcia to give away a pen like that, and you know, he just and he got sent off after that as well, which just welcomed on the pressure. But yeah, disappointing for them. And um, I think they're one to worry about as well as friends, unfortunately. Going back up quickly to the uh, friends game and the, that referee decision for Ryan Gold's pen. I don't know if you noticed, but when I've been looking at particularly Ibola.pt uh, for getting news stories, there's always an article about what referees are refereeing each games, like a real focus. And I wonder if that's because, you know, I, I think particularly this weekend, there's been a, a few very questionable decisions by refs. And I wonder if it's because the Portuguese fans have are so familiar with the referees and what their sort of style is and what that is of interest about what, who's refereeing what's match. Well, it's interesting that you say that because, and this is the kind of time where I feel most uh, feel most disappointed that I don't understand more Portuguese because it'd be great to watch some kind of like Portuguese highlight show and see how much emphasis they put on refereeing. I know in England, obviously, there's been a lot of they even implemented some rules, right, where managers aren't allowed to talk about referees in the post-match interviews or something, or they're, they're likely to be fined if they criticise a referee in a post-match interview. But I think refereeing is a sort of a source of global interest in fo- in the world of football these days, it seems to be, especially with, you know, VAR and things coming in. There's a lot of scrutiny on refereeing decisions. So There also seems to be a sort of quite a lot of narrative of fans about favoritism to the top three and stuff as well which uh, but yeah it's just interesting I've, I've never really you know if, if I was scrolling through Sky Sports say I, I don't see a, a big article about which referees referee in what games Right well we're going to move on to one of our new features on this podcast which is our team in focus for anybody who hasn't listened before this is the part of the podcast where we where we take one of the lesser-known teams from the division and we go on a bit of a deep dive into their history, their recent form, who their players are, who their manager are, what they're all about, just so us and the listener can learn more about one of the less famous teams in the division. Last week we did Rio Ave, so if you want to learn more about Rio Ave and their Europa League exploits this season, you can go back to our last podcast. But this week we're going to be discussing a team called CD Nacional, a team that you've watched a little bit more than me, I think it's fair to say, this season, Barney. Yeah, I've seen a few of their games... uh since we start this podcast interesting that they've come up this season and I think they've so far they've performed pretty well considering that um, for anybody who doesn't know Nacional is a team from Madeira 
which is an island off the coast of Portugal. It's not in mainland Portugal. It's, uh, it's actually the same island where Cristiano Ronaldo is from, the same island where the airport has that incredible statue of Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and he did actually play uh, very briefly for their youth team when he was a very young man. He played for them when he was, I think, between the ages of about 10 or 12, 11 or 13, something like that. Enough time for them to name their youth academy after him, interestingly. <laughs> oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a, I think there's a great source of pride that he was, you know, from the island and associated with the team. And from the time when Cristiano was playing for them, uh, and in their more recent history, people will know them as a top division club. But it wasn't always the case. In the two decades or so preceding that, they were very much a second division team, uh, and they qualified for the top division for the first time in 2002, uh, and they actually stayed there until 2017. So a very decent 15-year stretch uh, in the top flight. Their best ever finish in the top flight was fourth in 2003. Uh, they equaled that in 2008 as well. Uh, and they played in the Europa League three times in the last 11 years. It's quite interesting for us because obviously we see them as a newly promoted team, but they do have some European history and they were in the top division for quite a long time recently. They even made the Europa League group stages in 2009. But in 2017, they were relegated and that led to a period of, in 2018, they won Division 2. 2019, they were relegated from the top division. 2020, they won Division 2 again, which was last season, and now we find them uh, in Division 1 yet again, and they'll be hoping to consolidate that position again and go for another long stretch like they had in the uh, early 2000s. Yeah, I think at the beginning of the season, they were 1,500-1 to one to win the league, so they were joint bottom with Fringham today on uh, the odds front. But I've, I've been really impressed with them since they've come up. Um, uh, they've got a young manager in Lewis Freire. Um, he's only 34 years old, you know. So um, I think he's a coach who's come through the, le- uh, the leagues of Portugal. So an interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, he had a great success in them last season. They're winning the league. I think they only lost twice. But their style of play, I've you've seen glimmers of it uh, so far this season. I put myself through. The, I say put myself through uh, the Pacos game <laughs> <laughs> on the weekend. Uh, it was pretty pretty poor game but I really enjoyed their performance in the first game of the season when I watched them play Boa Vista got a real confidence about them um, you know you, they, you can clearly see that they won the, the Liga Pro last season but yeah they, they've got a, a good striker in Brian Marascos but otherwise yeah they're, I think they're quite solid defensively um, they, they've conceded a few goals but uh, well tell me more about Brian Marascos actually Barney because he's a player that you've been talking to me about since the very first week of this season so he's a Colombian striker he's 26 years old um, I think they got him on a free last season, so um, and I think he was top goal scorer in the league and uh, Liga Pro. He's come up. He's a he's got pace. He's a f- big player as well. He's got that strength. He's a real diamond in this team. When I, when you watch them play, he's he's the real standout player every time I've seen them. And like I said, he's got a couple of goals this season. Uh, it's going to be really important for them because they've got a few players behind them, like, like uh, the young Vincent Till, who's brought in this season, um, Kamasha, the winger as well. Just not quite the same quality. They haven't shown that sort of ability yet that Brian Rioscos has shown. Yeah, I mentioned Vincent Till. Um, I think you, I, I'd heard of his name before uh, seeing you play for Cedar National this season. Me too, yeah. He was a bit of a wonder kid, I think, not that long ago. He's only 20 now, but he was a player when he was about 16, 17, who was turning a few heads in the European stage. I can't remember what team he played for. Did he play in Germany? I think he's come from Mets in the French league. Right, right. I'm not sure if he's been there his uh, whole career, um, but yeah, I think he uh, he's from Luxembourg. I think he's played for the national team when he's 16 years old. Wow, uh, quite a small player. Um, I think he's left footed. Uh, he was on free kicks the other game, but yeah, a, exciting little signing. And they've also brought in um, 
Cosiello on loan from Cologne uh, in Germany. Another player who I've heard of before. Yeah, that's a really interesting signing as well because I remember him on the books at Cologne. And then did he move to Nice as well? Well, so he's a French uh, French midfielder. I mean, going right back uh, when he first came onto the scene, yeah, he started his career at Nice. People call him the French Xavi. Like uh, wow. he was rumored of Arsenal. I think his when he his debut season, he, he played thirty seven times that season as like a seventeen eighteen year old. Wow. Um, really, really highly rated. And then yeah, this bizarre move to Cologne where they paid a, quite a significant fee for him. And after as soon as he made that move, the appearances you look through the seasons, the appearances just drop. Mm. Um, he had a loan spell at Paris FC where he played like six times last season. You know. Really, really disappointing fall from grace, you could say, from mm. being such a high, really rated player. He's injured at the moment, but um, he played the first few games, and he's, he's, I've seen glimpses of it. He, he's got that touch. He's got a little bit about him. I just wonder if it's a confidence thing um, with him. Well, it must be hard for a player who, at such a young age, leaves the country that they're from uh, with quite a high price tag and quite high expectations on him shoulders, and then it seems like he's been kind of brushed aside slightly. I'm surprised that he's ended up in Portugal, though, because you'd think... For him, he'd prefer a move back to France, maybe. Particularly with um, a team like CD National having been promoted uh, last season, it was quite surprising. But, you know, there's got to be something at that club that has drawn him to it. Perhaps it's the manager. Um, it's really interesting to see that they've also signed uh, another young uh, midfielder, Danilovic, uh, Bosnian uh, 21-year-old. And he's their seventh highest transfer paid for a player. I think they paid 450,000 euros for him. Um, he hasn't played yet, but there's something going on where they're definitely looking at to youth, probably trying to sort of make similar roads that like uh, we've seen the big clubs do with bringing youngsters and selling them on for profit. Well, I'm not sure what you think about this, Barney, but I did look into their transfers as well. I don't know much about them as you, but I looked into their transfers before recording this. And the thing that jumped out at me, and I think it's similar maybe for a lot of the lower uh, ranked Portuguese teams in the division is that there seems to be such a large turnover of players every season. Like they have a lot of players in on loan for one year. Maybe they have a lot of players on kind of short-term contracts that they've got on free agents and stuff. It just seems like it's quite hard for teams like that, and especially teams like Nacional, to just get a foothold in the league and really build a kind of team mentality and build momentum and move up the table. Really, I think that's a really good point, Albert. I think one thing that's clear to see Nacional is that. And perhaps some of the other teams in the league as well. I think a lot of players are gambles quite often with mm. signings, and quite often they probably don't come off. You know, there's um, like you say, a high turnaround of players. But what's different with Cedar National, I think, is that when you look at the starting eleven, a lot of those players are in the starting eleven last year when they uh, did so well in the league below. So that could be something that would perhaps plays out in their favour this season. Um, you could though look at. Like the signings I mentioned, Vincent Tilcosio, and say they could be gambles. But if one of or two of them comes off, you know that that's good for them. Well, you're you're totally right, Barney. And at least one of their transfers this year, Brian Rascals, is definitely paying off. Um, I'm just interested to hear your predictions for them this season. I'm going to ask you where you think they're going to finish, and I was going to ask you who you think their top scorer is going to be, but I think that'll be an easy one. I've gone confident with them, and I've I'm going to say they could get top half. I I really feel there's a lot to be said with if the teams winning carrying on with that team and I think um, the manager's certainly done that by keeping a lot of the squad in um, a lot of the first team anyway from last year I feel like the teams we've seen them play they haven't had like, a real big challenge against one of the big three they played Braga who they lost to but I think every game they've played they've it's really given a game and held their own 
they haven't looked off it at all. Um, and I think that's going to be really important to them to just pick up points. They've got a few draws. And if they can keep these points rolling in, I, I do think there's a potential they could get into the top half. Um, as the top goal scorer, uh, we mentioned Brian Riascos. He's got three goals in five games now. Joel um, Camacho, though, they're number seven. He's been with them his whole career as well, which is another thing we rarely see in this league. Um, I think he's one to keep an eye out for. And then, yeah, there's finally, there's, there's two players that I think people should keep an eye out on, if only for the fantasy. Uh, Witty um, is the left wing back. He's not a neat or tidy player of any sorts of the imagination, but he's he's attacking um, and he's, he seemed to quite threat against Pacos, um, always willing to get up there. A great work rate. I think they're actually playing with a, it was hard to work out what formation they're playing. I thought they were playing with a back three, but they're, they're actually playing a back four, but it's just that Witty was just constantly play, basically playing a left winger position. He was like mm. really eager to get up. And then, yeah, um, a centre-back uh, Brazilian Pedrao, who's come on loan from Palmeiras. Uh, tall and fast. Um, he looks like a good player as well. But yeah, I think that it's got an exciting squad, uh, an exciting young manager as well. 34-year-old managers, not something you see very often. And yeah, definitely a team to look out for. Well, this brings us absolutely perfectly, Barney, onto our game recommendations because if after that, like me, you're wondering when you can next watch uh, CD National play, you can watch them play next Saturday at 8.30 in the Madeira Derby against Maritima. What a game that's going to be. Such a such a lovely fixture, two teams from the island. Oh, and you know when Lito Vidigal is involved, it's going to be a proper derby as well. <laughs> it's going to be all sorts of shithousery in this one. Oh, I'm really looking forward to that one. I think there's a really nice dynamic between those two teams as well because I think, you know, kind of culture behind the teams is quite different. I think Maritimo maybe is a bit more of a working class team. There's a bit of a rivalry there. That would be a lovely game to watch. Not one that's going to be televised on UK TV, unfortunately. Uh, perhaps if you did want to watch one of those and watch one of the big three, you could watch Passos Ferreira versus FC Porto. That's going to be 8.30 on Friday evening, the day before, and you can watch that on the Live Score app. Have you got any recommendations, Barney? Yeah, I think there's a couple on Sunday. Um, Gil Vicente, Vittorio Grimarash, I think could be good. Uh, Samuelino, who I've mentioned for Gil Vicente, I know I keep banging on about him, but he's a really exciting player. And then also uh, sporting Tondeo after that at 8 o'clock. Tondeo got a win on Friday night, which uh, I forgot to mention in the roundup, which is uh, big points for them getting free. I'm not saying they're going to get anything from that game, but uh, definitely improved performance from them. And obviously, by the time this podcast comes out, Porto will have already played Olympiacos, so we'll have to wait to see what that result will be. But you'll be able to catch Benfica and hopefully Braga if it's televised, with Benfica playing Standard Liège and Braga playing Zoria Luhansk in their respective groups. So it's your turn this week out. What's been your moment of the week? Well, I've been a bit cheeky and I've got two actually, because the first one that came into my head when I was picking my moment of the week was uh, the Darwin Nunes hat trick. I just thought he'd earned it so much. You know, he'd been showing signs of uh, exploding for the last few games, and he really did uh, this week in the Europa League. But I also want to pick a moment from the Premier League, because that's what we like to focus on. Um, I was tempted to choose uh, the Pedro, Pedro Gonçalves' double um, against Santa Clara. Uh, first goal, again, we mentioned it before, we'll share the highlights. First goal, fantastic finish from an acute angle. But of course, I couldn't look much further than the, a bit of a pylon that happened in the Derby Dominio with uh, Vittoria Gimarais versus Braga. So, <laughs> yeah. As always, we'll be sharing these moments over on our Twitter page. So do head over to our Twitter at LongBallForChewBall, where we'll be sharing highlights and our moments of the weeks and various thoughts throughout the week. You can also send us an email if you so wish on LongBallForChewBall at gmail.com, which just leaves us to round up this week with our weekly check-in on our fantasy football league. If you missed last week, I turned a corner 
scored a whopping 55 points, a record point total for either of us. Barney was labouring behind. But I wonder if you've pulled out of the bag this week, Barney. Well, I went big and I played my wild card. I, I'd had enough. And uh, so <laughs> I made 10, subs, uh, 10 transfers. Um, but then I made the amateur mistake of not actually making sure my first 11 were the right first 11. But <laughs> the big thing for me was, um, and probably the, the best thing to come out of not sorting out my starting 11, I had a Trigueria in goal, the Tonde keeper who's coming for the um, suspended Babaka Nyasi. Eight points for me on this uh, clean sheet on Friday. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, it's lovely. I had Carlos Manny in there with his uh, beautiful goal against Ferenc. Um, nice. So that's eight points. And Pedro Nunes well from Moriens, who got a goal. I've got three Benfica players playing tonight. So I'm currently on 41 points. But if they if they do well, I could be uh, looking at uh, my first ever plus 50. And which Benfica players are they? Because I've also got three. I've got Darwin, Everton. Oh, I've got Odysseus, but he's on the, he's on the bench. Fair enough. Well, I'm similar to you. I'm currently sitting on 48 points. Um, I was thinking about mentioning it earlier, but I didn't want to get you too excited because you said you'd made Darwin Nunes your captain. I, I've i I've mocked up with the captain, so I've still got Everton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. I don't feel so bad <laughs> because my captain is Luca Waldschmidt, who in my defence scored two goals and got an assist last week. And of course, this week is sitting on the bench. So I'm on zero points for Waldschmidt as my captain. I'm hoping it's the same rules where they automatically change to your... Uh, assistant captain because Grimaldo is my assistant captain he's on 8 points at that moment which is quite good um, Ruben Lameras got me 6 points from Famalisau I know he's on my bench for me uh, man amateur mate Esgaio and his, this is the one I was pleased with because I've had Esgaio the Braga right back in my team for since the beginning uh, and he got a clean sheet and a goal in the derby and he didn't get involved in the brawl and get a red card which I was very pleased with so he's got me 12 points so yeah 48 at that moment so I think we're both pushing the 50 point barrier now so Things are turn- we're slowly turning the corner in the world of fantasy football. Watch this space. I'd, I'd like that to be a week where I don't make an amateur mistake. But <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, tune in next week to find out. Uh, and with that, we'll leave you. Thanks again for listening uh, and for tuning in. If you've got any comments or questions, just contact us on our Twitter or our email. Uh, but for now, we'll leave you until next week. See you next week, Brian. See you next week, man.